Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So on today's Dig It podcast, we really welcome our special guest, David hedges Gower, a lawn consultant to the National Trust and the English Heritage, private estates, consultant, trainer, educator and author. Hello, David, and where do we find you this day? Yeah, but thank you. It's lovely to be here. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Lovely. So perhaps we, we can perhaps begin to find out a little bit about your sort of gardening background and, and how you got your obviously amazing passion for, for everything lawns. Well, it, it was, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's quite simple. When I when I left school, I, I'm old of a certain age where I think I left at about 15. Um, I don't I don't honestly remember, but I was very into, uh, at the time, just at the end of my school career, I, I think I joined a golf team. Uh, and I went into being a assistant professional golfer. And uh, I didn't want to be a club pro. I wanted to be um, Tiger Woods. Um, like everyone at that age, I suppose, got injured uh, and ended up sort of working on a golf course, wanted to sort of stay in golf course, in golf course somewhere. And I got offered a sort of position on this sort of small nine hole golf course. Uh, I ended up being, I was one of those, I mean, I suppose it's weird when you look back at your history, but I wasn't the most determined man in the world or young man, but I, I wanted to be, better than anybody else and with with that sort of passion early I got offered a job at 19 years of age to sort of take over this golf club and I I did the sort of Richard Branson sort of shaking his head sideways saying yes of course I know what I'm doing uh, but truthfully I didn't but equally that was going to be my um, way of learning incredibly quickly so I literally um, you know gone through my golf career I ended up at um, a wonderful place called the Oxfordshire uh, in the 90s uh, right the way through had about 12 13 years there looking after what was at the time probably one of the best golf courses in in the world so I've, I've learned a lot about grass and obviously if I'm honest I got to that mid-life crisis sort of age and thought I'm going to do something else but then when I started to realize that I wasn't skilled at much else I then went into lawn care and uh, and, and I've had the passion ever since and, and the passion really sort of stems from you know it's it's place in our society as well you know I'm not not a lawn obsessive in any shape or form um, but I'm obsessed with educating people and I'm obsessed about people keeping lawns and making it easier to look after their own little patch as well. Brilliant. That sounds like a good background then to get you into knowing a little bit about grass. I mean, I'm always blown away myself by when I get the pleasure of going on a golf course to see how fine the tees are kept. And it, I mean, it's amazing the the amount of effort that goes into maintaining a a lovely golf course and then you get idiots like me come along and plough the whole thing up and put divots left, right and centre. <laughs> it is good fun, isn't it? But anyway, can you tell us a little bit about the Lawn Association, David? Well, it was, again, it was so when I moved into lawn care itself, I, I, you know, with the background I had and the experience, I really sort of thought, well, lawn care's got to be covered. Somebody's got to be doing it or... You know, we 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 don't we don't we're not looking for that sort of manicured golf course effect. So it must be really simple. Everyone's doing it really well. 
And to be perfectly honest, um, you know, even a number of years later, people aren't doing it well. Uh, people don't understand how to look after lawns. And and one of the things that, as part of being somebody who educates and trains people, I kind of wanted to make it more available to uh, homeowners, gardeners, etc. And and what the association is, I suppose, is a platform to learn, and and it's to learn. I would say from a, a simple skill set. It's not to learn about which company might look after your lawn better, not what YouTuber might be more popular because he talks funny or whatever. It's to understand the basics of lawn care. It's to understand the the the, the actual two or three plants that you've got in your lawn. Uh, which I'd say 99.9% wouldn't understand. Well, that, that's that's the only part of the garden where you wouldn't understand the plant you're working on. So, so the association really started off, you know, as a as an area to target homeowners and and professionals about making them learn and understand about how simple and sustainable lawn care can be. So um, we've got that with the. The new online learning course, which has been uh, launched a few weeks ago now. Brilliant. And uh, it, it's really to give people, and that include, like I said, that includes anyone who doesn't want to, you know, whatever the perfect lawn uh, ideology is, but it's, it's to give people uh, the, the foundation to go, actually, that doesn't sound that difficult. And, and it isn't. You know, lawn care can be and should be really, really simple. But if you listen to half the, the, the stuff that's been spoken about in the last 25 years, you probably will struggle. This this gives you a complete basic understanding. You know, it's a learning course. You've got 12 months, I think, when you when you join, you've got 12 months to absorb all that information. Um, it's quite comprehensive, but it's, it's simple. It's trying to get people to realize that there's three dimensions in our, in our lawns. They're all yeah. quite obvious, of course. So yeah, it, it's all about it's all about um, education again. That's all. I quite agree with you, David, because uh, certainly when I was at college, uh, lawn you know, lawn care and turf culture was quite a it, it was quite involved actually. I think it it's the, the, it dumbed it down with the science of of, of the, the soil and the the types of uh, grass and also the machinery and the equipment to to keep your lawns looking in in, in prime condition. So maybe taking that on a little bit, where do you? The, the, the grass seed, for instance, the, the sort of starting point from our lawns. Um, most of those, obviously, we, we, we're sort of fairly familiar with with the ones we buy in in the garden centre, in, in boxes, in, in bags. Um, but can you just explain a little bit about the different sort of types of, of lawn seed and how that can affect what sort of effect you get from your your actual patch, uh, your, your your manicuring from from sort of day one from sowing it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, one of the one of the interesting things, as I, as I just pointed out, it's the only plant in the garden where we don't actually know what plant we've got growing in our lawn. And of course, what's already growing in your lawn is is the first point everybody should look at because it's already telling you that it likes to grow in your garden. <laughs> so that's that's always a winner. Um, what you don't want to look at is the grass species that aren't working. Um, we we can be a little bit led, and and I'm I'm trying to work with you know grass seed manufacturers um, to try and get people's understanding. We we are you know without you know being 
untruthful. We we are sold a lot of marketing in 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 various uh, forms in in our lives, let alone even buying grass seed. And uh, you know, I I'm very much someone who likes what grows in your garden. The, the learning course, is, you know, is is something that does sort of help in terms of that, but it's very difficult to go around everybody's garden and try and ascertain what grass should somebody be grown as opposed to uh, what they're being told they should, uh, for example. So we, we do get a lot of things like family law mixtures and wear and tear mixtures. And strange enough, um, that particular one, we've, we've got a, one of our non-native grasses called dwarf ryegrass. It's very much out there. It's, it's been in the industry for a number of years. Um, there's a little bit, little bit of a mystery about how to. Well, there isn't, but obviously a lot of people do have a mystery about how to look after it because it doesn't grow in the same way that our two native species grow. Um, and our native species, the strange thing is, in garden senses, our native grasses and our native ones are called that for a reason. They they grow all over the country, and they grow really well. That might be because of the soils we have. Um, it may just be that um, your your soils may be a certain pH, but but they're they're native because they grow in most people's gardens in some capacity. But they are strange enough, and, and again, I, I've been trying to work with people to stop calling them luxury lawn mixtures because it's a very odd one. I, I personally, I think we're in a an era where you know luxury lawn can get pelters thrown at it from varying angles. But when the truth is it's a native grass uh, or a natural lawn mix, oh, I personally think it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer myself. So our, our native grasses are some grasses species that have been here for a, a long, 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 long time. And, and what, what that time, what that history tells us, apart from the fact that they like growing here, but they also tell us that they grow in a very different manner to some other grasses. They're, they're very adaptive. Certainly, one of one of the two native Greek species, for example, grows sideways. We call it stoneoliferous leaf. So, um, it's a I call it a gap filler, basically. But that's that's how the plant grows. Rather than growing vertically too much, it keeps growing sideways. And then, as you prune it and scarify it, it produces more plants within itself as well. So that's a great grass to have in your lawn if your lawn can obviously grow it. It's not the easiest thing to do. Um, we've got another grass species that we call fescue, and that comes in various guises. There's creeping red fescue, there's chewing fescue. There, there's a number of different ones. I, I try to sort of get people to sort of forget the interpretation of, of what species I might have, um, because no one, even even myself, wouldn't be, boring enough to get down with a with a microscope and go yeah i've definitely got five percent of creeping red as opposed to what i thought would have been chewing's fescue etc etc i think we, we've got to bundle them all in as two or three main grass species and go well you know if one of the fescues is growing well then i need to learn how to maintain it um, but but it's the starting point that that we do with everybody. Everybody I teach, we go right. Let's look at what grows because th th that's nature telling us what we need to grow in the future. Forget whether you're being marketed something. Perhaps um, you know there there are grass species that will wear better. For example, the ryegrass definitely wears better. Um, but you, people tend to sort of go well. 
maybe that's the answer of me not doing much else to it. But we all know from the side of football pitches that, you know, the linesman creates, um, I don't think you can call them linesmen anymore, they call something else. Well, lines people, then, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> yeah, assistant referees, that's the one, isn't it? Um, you know, we, we know that if you have somebody running up and down or a dog running up and down on the lawn enough, they will damage any grass, whether it be heavy wear or not. The, the main thing, the main question about wear and tear here is it's as simple as anything else. And, and the National Trust, you know, learned this very quickly was to go, well, you know, if you've, if you've got 100,000 people going in the same area, there isn't a grass that will survive. Um, but you've got to look at why is the plant dying in the first place? And what am I doing to recorrect that? And then am I doing any more to that area than I am to my normal area? So um, grass species are, as I say, they, the grass is a wonderful plant and our native ones are incredibly good. And they they can look after most lawns. But of course, we don't, we're not able to buy that particularly in turf these days. So turf seed tends to come from you know, the dwarf rye fescue mixture. Um, but they are very different in the way they grow. So um, learning how they grow, and, and again, that's where the learning course will teach you, for example, how does rye grass grow in comparison to fescue? Um, it's, it's quite obvious if you know, of course, but um, not many people would. Most people put grass as grass. It's green most of the time. So it can't be any different. Well, they, they are, unfortunately. They grow differently, they react differently, and they'll give you a completely different lawn in the same way. Okay, thank you. And David, if we move into a new house that maybe the lawn isn't in that great a condition, what's the best time to sow, and how's it best to prepare the site for sowing a new lawn? Well, it, it, it's a bit like anything, I suppose. You know, preparation is obviously key. Um, but equally, you know, we've, we've, I think one thing with grass for itself, you know, when, when we, when we think of sowing grass seed, we tend to think that we've got, uh, in fact, we do obviously have a number of different species all in a same box or whatever, but technically speaking, grass seeds come in different sizes. So if you look at rye grass, for example, it, it'll have a much bigger seed pod, which means it can absorb a lot more moisture which means it can obviously warm up a bit quicker as well and then germinate. So different grass species will germinate at different times, even at different, slightly different temperatures. Okay. But obviously, um, you know, soil temperature is more important than, you know, it being bright sunshine, for example. Um, there, there's no there's no right and wrong time, if I'm honest. I mean, if I said, uh, in fact, I German tried to germinate some grass seed last February, and it germinated really quickly. It didn't turn into a lawn very quickly, but it did germinate. Right. So put, you can start as early as you wish. Just don't expect the, the English weather to uh, give you exactly what you want. Um, and and that's you know the key. You know, w w as much as the grass seed is good, and as much as our preparation is good, nature's the key to all of this. Um, we, we can have gold-plated grassy, but if the temperatures aren't warm, it won't it won't work. So when you the way I look at trying to germinate grassy in terms of weather-wise, when exactly we we used to sort of think that that autumn was better than spring. Well, autumn's very much a time where uh, we know we're going into winter, which means that temperatures are dropping. 
Uh, we may have a bit more moisture around to help germinate, but we're definitely going to get colder weather, which again isn't great for seed germination. If, if there was an honest answer for what the best time, it's probably during the, the, the warm weather um, because you can germinate it really quickly. Yes. The downside is you've got to water, obviously. So, you know, I, I think in, in, in most cases in the UK, I, I personally think April and May are the, the two best months, in my opinion. Um, in terms of preparation, again, it's the one time you've got to do something properly. You know, whatever you do to your soils now is going to um, help you certainly in, within the next few years, to be perfectly honest. So when when you prepare anything, you've got to think a little bit sometimes outside of the box. Um, you know, you've got to look at the fact that soils, for example, aren't all the same. So you may have clay soils. If you do have clay soils, you've got to think about having too much moisture retention, perhaps, uh, or certainly not needing to irrigate as, as somebody has told you to do. You've also got to think about water percolation if you've got a new build, for example. So well, there's a lot of different factors that you need to think about. In, in terms of preparation itself, as I say, it's the one time you've got to do something. Um, if you can add some any sort of organic matter into that sort of top profile, even if you um, apply some, I would say, soil conditioner, yeah. um, preceding fertilizer, that kind of product, those those are essential to get in in the early stages because the, the 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 key, the, one of the biggest keys to seeding success is actually not just to germinate it, but is to to have that little baby plant have some food and nourishment to put, you know, to, to absorb in the soil as it's starting to germinate um, is really, really key. And it's, it, you could turn a, a seedling, a seedling into a plant, you know, in, in no time at all. If the lawn has got some food and soil conditioner already in the preparation or the prepared area. Yeah, because I know when I recently sowed some, sort of had some patches in my lawn, what I did was I gave the surface a good raking up to start off with, and then I put some topsoil, some new topsoil down, and then sowed the seed into that. And to be fair, it seemed to do quite well. Is that type of thing you'd recommend, or what, what should I have done? Well, the one, the one it's, again, you know, I, I, I like people to think when it comes to lawns and problems. And so I, you know, what with the way I think about it, I would go, well, why is the patch died in the first place? Why have I got a bare spot? What's the cause of it? Now, it could be a dog. Of course, it could be uh, a plant overhanging. It could be anything. It, it could just be a lump of concrete in the ground that burnt off during the summer and didn't recover. It could be lots and lots of factors. But essentially, I always say to people, well, look at, look at that reason first, because that's the starting point. You don't want to put new grass seed down when the problem hasn't been removed. Um, so that, that's one of the real big, big issues. And it might be that that particular area is perhaps just a, a compacted bit of soil. Your, your lawn soils will differ, you know, from meter to meter to meter to meter. And, and, and there'll certainly be some areas that, that would die off just purely because they didn't recover after a dry spell or a wet spell even. So, you know, sometimes it's a case of maybe going, well, actually, let, let's think about the growing medium first. Uh, let's correct the problem that was the cause in the first place. And that might be um, scratching it. That might be um, getting through that little bit thatch layer. It might be just 
do something like holotine aeration, for example, where you remove the plugs. So if you've got a dog urine, for example, if you you can add some drainage improvement to to help get that ammonia through your root uh, profile, then the seed's going to have a much, much better chance as well. So it, it, the critical thing is trying to identify what the problem was, try and resolve that before you put your grass seed down. That way you'll probably get a lot more quicker, successful germination on it. Yeah, David, I'm thinking on, on the, the process of having sown the seed and it, you know it's germinated well and Mother Nature's been kind and we're getting those lovely April showers and everything's going to plan. Yeah. What sort of treatments would you sort of recommend for your, your fairly new, newly sown lawn? Is there anything you'd sort of recommend for that, that first season? The, uh, again, I, I think the, the, the main thing to, to think about when, when you've germinated, you know, if we, if we are, and it, we are lucky to get germination. We've got a lovely climate over here, as we, as we know, that um, does help us germinate um, grassy without, you know, us using too much water. But the, the, the main thing you've got to think about is, is the fact that you've got, first of all, you've got um, a problem. Uh, first of, secondly, you've got a seedling, and and they vary in size as well. So again, germinating some of some of the different species is not the easiest thing in the world. But as I say, nature helps us with that. The main thing then you've got is uh, a seedling, and we all know that seedlings are, are young baby plants, quite fragile, and and quite prone to to variations of uh, heat or stress or herbicide or whatever people are throwing at it. So the, the main object that people want to do really, and it's certainly important in the first few months, is, is certainly to feed your lawn more than you normally would. Because what you want to do is turn that seedling into a big, lovely, healthy, fat plant as quickly as you can. Because that way it can withstand the dry weather, it can withstand you know the, the different sort of problems that it might have. So feeding it in that first few months is is critical but get used to just feeding it more than you normally would it's not something you've got to do for very long but that's the critical bit you turn your little baby plant into a into a grown-up plant that can look after itself so you know there's lots of obviously different feeds i'm i'm a great believer that um we've got um, some wonderful products out there nowadays that are a little bit environmentally friendly you know, we've got one made from composted recycled food waste, which is the best lawn feed in the world, in my opinion. And I don't mean that by just saying it, but it, it actually is. I think the sustainability aspect is good, but but also you can put it on new seedlings. Um, you haven't got to worry about polymer coating. You've got you've got something which can make the grass grow very very safely and also sustainably, which I think is is certainly important as well. David, do you think it's it's useful to go down the you know the liquid feeding route as well, or or would you say a a granular feed is is a, is a better option for those uh, newly forming plants? I think I think at the end of the day, every every lawn is different and every scenario is different. You know, we we get very different weather patterns. The idea of liquids, um, obviously, for those that don't know, liquids obviously go into the leaf very very quickly um and and they can they can work really really well sometimes the if i'm being honest the difficulty can be in the application of a liquid fertilizer um they have application rates sprayers have um application or water volume rates so it, it can be tricky you know, one thing that the association is 
is doing um, is trying to make that understanding for homeowners a lot easier so that liquids can be used in conjunction. But liquids, liquids are very quick in and out things. They can be reactory things. So, you know, if we, if we do want to feed the plant really, really quickly and we don't necessarily want to irrigate the lawn, for example, then getting a liquid is a little bit safer. Uh, than some fertilizers, not not all. But to say the calibration can be a little bit very well, it can be very ambiguous um, because again, how much we we got this sort of strange sort of thought process in the country that you you dilute fertilizer in a liquid form where you, you don't at all. You're not diluting it ever. Um, you you can put less less of an application rate on, but you sort of got to understand how much is coming out of your nozzle on on your sprayer at the same time. So one thing that we're doing at the association is trying to make that more understandable for people and, and simple. So we, we pre-calibrate little battery sprayers, for example, so that people can start to use liquids a little bit more. As, as we know, the, the fertilizer prices have rocketed all over the world at the moment. And um, the one, the one, thing that hasn't been uh, or certainly has gone through it better than anything is liquid feed so liquids are <laughs> I think liquids might in the future become a little bit more important personally um, but it, it depends every lawn will be different every uh, weather scenario will be different every soil will be different every time that somebody sprays will be slightly different so there's, there's no real winner I think I think the only thing with with granules if you can use an organic type feed they will release fairly quickly as well, but they they can all work. There's no one perfect scenario with feeding your lawn full stop. It's a mixture of a number of different things that might be easy for you. They might be more useful for you. But again, that's that's an experience that you almost need to have and learn as well um, on your particular lawn. Excellent. And just wondering, David, if you could possibly name drop the fertiliser you like that's made out of food waste, because we always like to share top tips like that with our listeners. Well, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, well, strange enough, I, I, the conversation that I, I should be having with um, Chris, I think, as well, because, you know, it's it's something that is now available in the garden centre world as of, you know, fairly, fairly recently at the moment. Um, and it, it's it's a, it's one that's actually available in different parts of the garden. So what what actually it is, and the composted recycled food waste part um, is is very important. It's also obviously very sustainable, but it's also a soil condition at the same time. So it's it's something that that I utilised in in my sports industry background, and has been in the sports industry background for a long time. And and the I fought really because the product was so good. I fought to get it into uh, the retail outlets. So the product is called True Garden Rain. So we, we've got true grass for lawns, obviously. We've got uh, true yield for um, uh, crops and vegetables. And we've got true bloom for flowers as well. And it, it, it's as remarkable as I say it is. And, and I wouldn't say that lightly, if I'm honestly. But Excellent. It's, it's sustainable, it's safe, and, you know, in, in this case, it comes in a handy little tube as well, which is, again, a, an applicator in itself. So it's very, very useful. But, they, you know, what it does to, the, the, you know, the one, the one thing if I had to teach anybody about feeding a lawn 
is to go back to any any plant specialist and say that well, the key to feeding any plant is to feed the soil. The yeah. plants will take up whatever they can then. Um, if you feed, keep feeding the leaves, which liquids can do, and they, 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 they do have a purpose, they, they, you know, you tend to just feed the leaf. That's it. You, you don't get too much sort of root development. You don't get too much strength for the plant. So, as I say, liquids tend to be reactory things. So, you know, you, you've got certain products now, which, one which we're, we're hopefully launching soon, which will, you know, green up your lawn for a, an event, for example, if you've got a barbecue. And, and it won't particularly do that much apart from what it says. It'll green it up. And, you know, if you want a stripy lawn, it'll make the stripes stand out even better. Yeah. But it's got to remember it's not, it, it won't ever replace a granule, um, but it can enhance the the purpose that you're trying to achieve when you're feeding, that's all. Okay, thank you. I guess the next question with regards to, we, we've sown our imaginary first lawn yes. and we've been feeding it diligently. When should we start thinking about cutting it? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because again, I, I suppose to a point, there's no there's no right and wrong um, of when you should cut it. Um, cutting is strange. I'll just slightly off water, but I mean, mowing is a pruning technique. Um, yeah. So when we let grass grow too tall, we lose all that energy. So when we look at mowing frequently, you know, we don't say it because we want anyone to be obsessed with their lawn. But the whole point, especially if you're feeding a lawn, is that you give the plant energy and then you stop it from growing and going in your compost bins. And that that becomes fairly easy then because the plant does the rest for you. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, really important to, to, to not think, you know, oh, I haven't got to do anything. It's a seedling. It's in the ground. And I'll probably do some damage if I do go on it. Well, of course, you, of course we can um, without question. And a lot of places, like I say, if you germinate a lawn and don't start to get that thickening over that first period of, you know, three or four weeks, then you're, you're open to the elements. So if it's if it's a little bit thin, it can be, too damaging to to suddenly get a, a mower on there. The first key would be for anybody to say, well, obviously mow when it's dry, but try and mow without a roller for a good few months as well. Um, the less damage you can do, whether it be pushing over worm casts or or anything at all, use use a rotary mower with just a, a very very sharp, beautiful blade that isn't going to damage and tear those new little fragile seedlings. So there's no rule of thumb, if I'm honest. But as I say, if you do feed your lawn, it will obviously, if you feed it at the time of seeding, for example, or, or even even at the first signs of germination, it will grow quicker than than some that you've been used to. Right. But, but just realize that, yes, you can do damage, but, is the damage um, balanced out by the fact that you're starting to prune the, the leaf blade already? You're starting to force the growth sideways to thicken to get to the goal where you want to be. So, there, there, there's, there's no rule of thumb, but I would I would use a rotary mower. I would use a very very sharp blade. Um, always buy a spare blade when you get a mower from from anywhere, garden centre or otherwise sharpen it up change it as often as you can and, and certainly in that early stages of seeding um, you don't want to be putting this plant under stress at all so yeah there's no there's no rule of thumb again i think you've got to learn and think and think what what damage you could do 
because ultimately we would be the one doing the damage. Nature won't damage it. It's, mm. It succeeds. It will be when we come on to doing the bit that we want to do that we start to incur the, the damages ourselves. Fair enough. Yeah, so David, I, I, my next the subject really is watering. Now, whether it's a, a new lawn or an existing lawn, obviously there's always a big debate whether you should you know, keep your, your lawn very well irrigated during the summer or, you know, if we yeah. have a drought, you know, when we've got hose pipe restrictions, uh, should we let our, you know, lawns brown as we know they recover very quickly? So what's what's your thoughts then on, on, on your, this imaginary newly sown lawn? What sort of, what sort of watering regime should we uh, aim for? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the watering debates, are, you know, it's one that is just completely separate issues and you could talk about that forever, I suppose. I always say to people, especially when you're, you know, if you have constructed a new lawn, for example, with a new seedbed, you should be, you should be in in reality close to where soil should be. Now, lawn soils, or certainly lawn soils, but probably any garden soil should be, should have 25% water storing capacity in them anyway. Um, That'll obviously be different if you've got a, a slightly poorer soil, um, if you've got a more clay soil, for example, or a sandy soil come to that. So you started off, again, you, if you can start off with the sort of idea of trying to make your soils good, uh, that they're more receptive to, to using the water. You know, one of the problems that, that a lot of people have is that they'll overwater. That then incorporates that soil to become panned and compacted and then start to not use the water that you're putting down so that i'd always say well if you if you're doing it properly then try and enhance your soil at that early stage because it will mean somewhere along the lines you won't have to water as much in terms of watering a new lawn i mean it's it's one of those things the quicker you can get it established and turned into a a big fat lump of grass the better because obviously that will be able to store more water It'll be able to store more food. It will improve uh, root development because it's a stronger plant as well. And then it will be able to absorb more moisture, but but obviously less so, if that makes sense, in, in terms of less watering. Um, and, and again, I think, you know, there's, your lawn tells you what, what's going on. In that early stages, if you're starting to see, you know, brown spots appearing on your newly seeded area, for example, it might tell you the soil there's a little bit different to uh, another part of the garden, perhaps. It's not always that you're not watering that particular plant. It might just be a soil type in that particular area. So, again, you know, learn from it, perhaps investigate a little bit. And, and somewhere along the line, you, you, your watering program in between your sort of, I suppose, your, your moral obligation and your requirement, somewhere along the line, you will water as much as you feel that you should do there's, there's no right and wrong because at the end of the day you know we all know that we can jump into a drought at any time of year these days we can also have the opposite effect of new lawns where we have a very wet summer as well so again it's it's you know, we may not think we're watering but of course we are uh, and but it may be trying to remove the water away from our grass seedlings as opposed to take the water in so I'd always say to anybody, just, you know, if you've done preparation, good. If you perhaps added some, um, you know, the, things like the soil conditioners that can uh, absorb moisture in the surface, things like that, then you, you'll lose, uh, you'll use less water, I would say. 
but you're somewhere along the line you'll know when to stop um i i personally i'm, I'm a great believer that um you know plants are incredibly durable uh, and versatile things and uh, grass is no exception so overwatering in the early stages is, is is a real bad thing to do so let it fight for its water let it go looking for it but there's like i said there's no there's no rule of thumb everyone will do it differently everyone will have different water pressure uh, times a day that they put it on etc etc there's so many different fractions that can be different but you'll look you'll learn yourself if you if you want to look fair enough yeah. and i suppose now moving through into autumn time what do you think about autumn? I mean, should we still be cutting the lawn through the winter? I mean, obviously it slows down its growth massively. But any thoughts on treatments and fertilisers? Obviously you get the evergreen autumn lawn food, which we sell sort of a fair few tonnes of. Um, but I'm guessing by that it does work and it is a benefit. I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, again, I don't think there's any right or wrong about, because not everyone obviously wants to feed along, but obviously those that do um, are looking for a, a, a stronger, healthier uh, lawn. And, and feeding in the autumn is, is um, an absolute, um, without question. Um, the, yeah, the, any fertilizer itself will, I mean, they're so different. It's it's unbelievable. You know, um, even the evergreen products compared to the true grass. I mean, they're they're like chalk and cheese to a point. Um, but ultimately, the, the the plant in a lot of cases, especially with nicer lawns, people do box the clippings off, which means that you've got to replenish lawn food. Um, yeah. And as I said earlier, one of the one of the absolutes we know that we're going to get. Uh, in the autumn is that it's going to get colder and it's going to get wetter and the plant's going to be under a little bit more stress. So certainly feeding in the autumn is is critical. How much to put down, again, everyone will put a different amount on. Um, and that, again, that's one of the keys where if you've got well-balanced lawn feeds, they can be certainly better suited for the autumn than others. But ultimately, yes, I would say to anybody, feed your lawn. I would say timing-wise, autumn, I'm not quite sure when autumn is these days, actually. I'm, I know <laughs> it's September, October. But, <laughs> October, uh, November. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very tricky one to, to say when it is. But the I think, you know, one thing, if you are feeding your lawn regularly, the main thing is, you know, if you're putting products down that are going to last, I don't know, eight weeks, ten weeks or whatever, you need to be thinking about applying your following one before that 10 week period for example so you've always got to think of overlaps but when it comes to autumn feeding sometimes slightly earlier is better if you go too late into the season you can perhaps make the plant a bit weak um, a little bit sort of fat if you like you know with a bit too much food in it when it's not going to work as much over the next few months so without question I, I would always say to anybody feeding the autumn it's is quite quite important that feeding at any time of the year is important you know there's a in my opinion one of the strangest areas of not feeding lawns is is during the winter um, it can be fed with a completely different product but it's probably the most critical one that we have in the uk and that that's because of the uh the moss control factor in it 
Um, but that's another story. <laughs> it's another product that, that is out there, unfortunately, or, or will be in a few weeks' time. But yeah, autumn, autumn, absolutely key. If you want your plant to be strong and healthy to go through that winter period, late autumn, early winter period, with a bit of strength, a bit of durability, and also a bit of cosmeticness as well, it's, it's absolutely key. David, on the uh, on uh, we've, we've talked about overseeding the lawn uh, earlier on, but sort of this time of the year we're in the obviously the month of March. Um, what other things should we be thinking about doing to existing established lawns? Is there any other sort of key treatments you'd sort of recommend we uh, we we cast our eye over? Yeah, I think that I mean there's certainly the, the the two if not three really the the two critical things are again this goes back to learning about your plant again the two critical bits are uh, pruning your plant um, to give you increased vigor and growth and plants and and doing undoing the damage that nature does now nature and that's through aeration of course. So if you haven't aerated your lawn yet, then you know you've got a couple more months to to think about aerating. Now, the reason aeration is done or needs to be done on UK lawns is it's purely down to our environment. We we get obviously a fair amount of rain in the UK, uh, but we also get droughts at the same time. And both do damage to our soils just naturally. Um, not that we um, cause compaction because um, you know we're playing football on it every day. But, but the aeration basically is going to change uh, or alter your soil structure. So when you when you spike a lawn with a garden fork, essentially you're not you're probably doing more damage than good to be honest, because you're if you've got a fairly solid mass, you're just wiggling a solid mass into it. So if anything, you almost compact around it. But with a hollow tine fork, you remove plugs, and the idea of the plugs coming out of your lawn it means that those can collapse and fall in amongst themselves now. And when they do that, they create new sort of drainage channels for water to percolate down, new little avenues for roots to, to grow down as well, and obviously nutrients as well to make their way down. So although although a lot of people think, well, you know, it's a bit over the top to aerate your lawn or to hollow tiny your lawn, it's, it's basically a way of balancing out what nature's just done to it. And that might be the drought that we had in the summer. It might be the fact that we've just come through a wet period. So that's that's really critical. It's a bit like repotting a plant in, in lawn care terms. We can't obviously repot our lawn, but we can certainly add benefit to the soil where we can. And that's the one key thing that everyone in this country should be doing. In terms of the pruning of the plant, pruning, again, it's more like a spring clean. You know, we all know what a spring clean does to our houses and uh, and gardens and where we tidy everything up. Well, the spring clean is really sort of removing some of the decaying organic matter or thatch that we call it, which it can be, you know, clippings that have fallen off, uh, for example, um, and not been digested by the soils properly. Uh, it could be a number of different things. We could be mulching our lawn and, and putting a lot more material back into the ground. So doing that kind of thing is is essential. Purely in as much, and, and again, don't get me wrong, scarification can be done badly as well as it can be done well. But it's a pruning technique. And if it's done regularly, you don't need to you know, ruin your lawn. It's a case of combing out dead material so new plants and 
shoots can grow into those spaces to enhance the look of your lawn again. It's it's, it's simple, really. It's it, it's just simple plant maintenance techniques that should be should be uh, done by everybody. And and if everybody did it, you'd be surprised how how many people would have beautiful lawns because you're enhancing the soil. We all know that plants grow in the soil. And we're enhancing the plants at the same time, um, so they're they're both key, both absolutely key. Excellent. And just thinking, I mean, I love stripes on my lawn, and I know there's a bit of a debate about robot mowers or electric robotic mowers versus the standard sort of go out and mow the lawn once a week. Can you give us some hints on what your thoughts are as to, I mean, are robotic mowers better for the lawn because they're continually mulching the lawn, or what are your thoughts? Well, again, if we if we go back to the simple fact that mowing is a pruning technique, and the more often you, and, and in fact, it, you know, you often say to people who who make the best mowers, who are the best mowers in the world? Well, a lot of people go, well, I don't know, Honda or Husqvarna or somebody, and you go, no, 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 who mow grass? Who mows grass the best in the world? Well, we know that that's lawn professionals, turf care professionals, golf courses, etc. So, what do they do better than us? We tend to go where well, they they use really expensive mowers, so that's the key. Well, they don't actually. Um, they use robots and and rotaries all all over the world, and the the key part to it is that they're mowing more regularly than we do. So, when it comes to robots the one thing that you can obviously program robots to do is mow more than we want to mow you can have them out there seven days a week yeah. uh trimming so in that respect the, the the benefit of robots is very good the downside is that you know you can forget about your lawn a little bit they can become a little bit too automatic and sometimes you forget what's going on in your lawn you lose obviously the benefit of the uh uh, the well-being, the mental health and well-being of mowing your lawn. I think there's a lot to be said for yeah, and the going exercise. Out and, <laughs> yes, going out there and washing all your thoughts away with a couple of hours lawn mowing. It's very therapeutic. So, and again, they become you know robots can be a bit too automatic in as much as again, if you don't think about it, your blades might be blunt and you're uh, damaging your grass as as much as you think you might be benefiting it. I, I think they're very much going to be the future, but. At the moment, yeah, I'm I, I like a stripe, but then I I just like healthy grass, so I'm not personally a massive fan, but I can understand why. I think robots have, have still got work to do. Uh, I'm working with some of them myself in terms of pest control techniques and things like that, because you know that's well, it's something obvious to me, but it's not obvious to many people, but. You know, we don't have pest control products, but a robot can be a fantastic addition um, because if you stop pests laying eggs, the problem disappears. And how would you do that? Well, a lovely little robot running around annoying the pests is a very simple, sustainable technique. So they, they, I think they will, they will have a bigger future. Um, but I think it will take longer. It's taken a long time now. I, I do like them. I've got one on my daughter's lawn. And I think it does a great job. Uh, it's not great during winter. It's not great during leaf fall and twigs and, and everything else. There's there's always a time when we we have to intervene still, and I'm sure there always will be. But but I think I think they can be a great addition. But ultimately, every lawn mower is about the sharpness of a blade. They're, they're just like cars. 
you know, we choose different cars for various reasons. We we very rarely ever say, well, that one doesn't go forward like the other one, only in terms <laughs> of speed, of course. But they, they all go back as a forward cars. We just choose them for various reasons. It might be the color, the dashboard, the shape. And, and lawnmowers are very much the same. The critical bit is the lawnmower blade. If you don't have that sharp, then your plant won't be any good anyway, whether you cut it seven days a week or, or once a week with a, a striped mower. So, uh, But again, it, it's something, again, trying to work work with the mower manufacturers to try and make. And strange enough, I've got a, an ultimate mowing guy, which you might be interested in. It's free from the association, actually, but but it's surprisingly, there's a surprising amount of knowledge in there that people wouldn't believe you had, I would say you had to do with you when you mow a lawn, but there's certainly advice there that you would heed to at times that you wouldn't think were was necessary or or whatever, but um, it, it's, it, yeah, it's critical. It's critical to mow the grass well. Um, I always think, you know, there's a difference between mowing the grass and cutting the grass. Okay. I think a lot of people, a lot of people with rotaries, you know, we started up and off we go. That's mowing a lawn. Cutting a lawn is, is actually, you can still do that with a rotary, even though cylinders are, believe to cut grass better but but ultimately if you, you you use a rotary mower and you look after your blade and sharpen it on a regular basis that's cutting grass as well and and that's that's the one key thing on a lawnmower is to try if you want it good cut it Fair don't enough. just mow it just get a lawn you're uh, raising a really interesting point there because i was always taught uh, correct me if i'm wrong that a lawnmower blade should be as sharp as a butter knife would you agree with that or do you think it should be more like a razor blade <laughs> it should be more like a razor blade absolutely yeah i mean i don't know where i mean essentially you're going on the lawn with a with what is a very high speed scythe i suppose yeah um and, and and that's what it is. Now we all know that you know we're, we're probably of a certain age that we remember size and people mowing grass with size and those blades are as sharp as a you know. No, you're not wrong. And, I can remember my grandmother and grandfather had a lovely old scythe with a handle that came out. And as children, we used to love to going into the meadow and chopping grass with it. And you are right; it was incredibly sharp. But well, I, I, I'm pleased that, that to, I will. I will go and get my little sharpening stone out and take it to the the lawnmower blade again. Then we should have a. I mean, this is something that again I've been trying to get people to, uh, to do. I mean, we can obviously sharpen blades in various ways, but there must be a very simple device that could be made by somebody, some clever engineer that that um, that sharpens a blade much easier for the average the average homeowner. You know. There is something out there, I'm sure, but there isn't, <laughs> but there should be. Fair you know, enough. we can invent, you know, pin cameras to sit on a, you know, spaceship up in the sky. We must be able to make a, <laughs> a sharpening tool that, that you literally just sort of, you know, run over the end of a, a blade or something, I'm sure. But it, it's a, it, it should be one of the most important bits of uh, somebody's gardening or lawn itinerary. You know, that that's critical, absolutely critical. And and just as a rough idea, how often, say we're mowing our lawn once a week, would you be sharpening the blade once a week or more like once a month? I mean, how quickly will it dull? Well, the, the thing is, there are so many factors that obviously dull a lawnmower blade. Firstly, you know, 
in, in, in modern society, our, our steel that we use is very soft these days in comparison to days gone by, right. which means that those factors, and it doesn't mean stones, of course, um, although that obviously will do damage, but the grass species themselves, you know, if they're lacking moisture, then they become a little bit more dry and durable and, and they can sort of lose an edge quite quickly. So again, you know, you, there's, there's no rule of thumb. I mean, personally, you know, I say to everybody, just buy a spare blade. If you want to change it every week, it's it's really worth doing. If you want to do it every two weeks, it's better than not doing it at all. Okay. Many people do it once a year, and and they often go, yeah, the lawns look a bit dull now. It looks, doesn't look very good. In fact, you notice it more, and you'll notice it now because I'm going to tell you, but in the next few months, you'll start to look at gardens and lawns and you'll see quite a few yellow ones out there. Yep. And that's purely because the mower blade hasn't been sharpened. It's been chopped down too quickly. And immediately you put your lawn under stress and we're the ones that want it nice. So it's, it's not difficult. It's just, you know, it will be different for you. You might want to do it every week, but as I say, buy a spare blade. You've got a week to sharpen it. Uh, it's probably about two minutes to, to sharpen any blade anyway. It'd probably take longer to swap the blade over, but it's mm-hmm. it's critical. With a with a blunt blade, you, you stop the plant being able to take food and water up, you know, and that during times when there's not a lot of water around, that can lose colour in your lawn really, really quickly. So um, it, it's, as I say, it's the most important thing in many respects that a homeowner has to do. I was going to say, David, it's almost like using some very blunt secateurs in the garden, isn't it? You... You, you pay the price for, you know, poor impl- implements at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people, you know, send their, uh, their, their lawnmowers off to service every autumn or during the winter. And, of course, it gets maybe sharpened at that point. But, of course, by which time, yeah. you, you know, you come to the middle of the year and it's running out of, of sharpness. So I think it's a really good point. On that side of things, um, obviously, we are continuing to cut our lawns well into the winter now because of global warming. Um What's your thoughts on that? You know, is there a, a definite sort of stop time or do we just work with the lawn and work with the weather? Well, it, there's a lot of factors, obviously, over winter. I mean, it's a strange one. I, 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 I brought a saying out a few years ago, and if it, if, if it doesn't stop growing, then don't stop mowing. <laughs> and you guess. certainly don't on, on professional sports grounds, for example. Again, the people that are mowing properly. So... You, what you'll find on a lot of lawns in the UK, of course, you'll find lawns that don't that don't grow very well. Therefore, people, you know, don't necessarily need to cut them either. Apologies for that. Somebody's just started a printer in the background, so I do apologise. Okay. So we we've got that factor as well. There's a lot of lot to be said about keeping the leaf blades dry as possible over the winter time as well. So. You know, topping your lawn mower, topping your lawn off with a very high setting on a blade, uh, on your on your mower, sorry, can be quite a good, I suppose, preventative practice as well. It it just helps the leaf blade dry out. It almost actually sort of brings it back to life a little bit. So again, I think it's very much down to each person. Do I cut mine? Absolutely. I don't cut it very often, but I do still make the plant think it's alive i make it look a bit prettier in a period where perhaps it doesn't i think we will have to concentrate on on winter mowing more than we ever have you know we we almost haven't really had a winter yet and and certainly lawns have been growing incredibly well 
we did the association we did a, a video actually on is february the new spring and and we we've scarified a lawn on first of february and, and we're doing another sort of catch up soon to to show people that you know if you can't do anything wrong particularly then we're going to have to look at changing our mowing practices and, and maybe our scarifying and other practices you know it's, it's nobody's got the answer because no one can read the future i wish we could right now actually but <laughs> hmm. That's it. And just thinking more a little bit about sort of bugs and creepy crawlies that live in the lawn. My dog has an incredible sense of smell, as lots of dogs do, and it loves digging out chafer grubs or daddy longlegs grubs. I don't know if it's a common yeah. thing, but obviously she she finds it a great little game. And are are chafer grubs harmful for the lawn? I mean, things like ants you often see rooting around in the lawn. Are they good? Bad? I think I think at the end of the day it's a, it's a bit like anything you know they they have as much right to be here as we do that's for sure. Yep. I I suppose ultimately things that you if you look at them in a, an objective sense um chafers generally speaking um they they tend to be in in certain types of lawn. Sometimes they can be unmanicured if you want to call it manicured or unmaintained um <laughs> are you casting aspersions <laughs> on my lawn <laughs> no, no. you wouldn't be the first <laughs> honestly <laughs> you know, what you won't work i mean you find them on sports stuff so you know don't don't take it the wrong way you find them all <laughs> the, the biggest problem with them is that one they tend to be around for three three or four or five years um yep. in different sizes obviously we don't do that much damage to to them it's the birds obviously sensing them and, and in your case your dog will sense the movement and the noise in the ground that makes them attack it uh, and they tend to do more damage than anything else um, and that's why that's why i've sort of looked um, the robot mowers being something that can prevent and, and don't get me wrong, we, we, there's more thought that's got to go into the timing and everything. But we do know when capers come out of the ground. Uh, certainly some of them. You'll have varying uh, larvae in there at varying stages uh, throughout that five-year cycle. So it's only obviously once they become the maybug that, that they obviously then relay eggs back into your lawn. And that's the cycle that you've got to try and break. Now, if if you can reduce numbers and you can reduce them naturally, I think that's a win-win. They're they're in there because they don't generally travel very far. So I would think that your house would be perhaps in close proximity to um, a church, for example. Would I would that be right? Um, there's a church probably two hundred meters, three hundred meters away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that you know, you find them, you find them in villages, for example, where. You know, houses have been there for some time. The grubs might be there for some time. Um, and sometimes you, they can go completely unnoticed. And, and you'll find them in lots of lawns where, unless you dig them out of the ground, you wouldn't know they're there. So it just depends on the numbers that you've got. And, and as I say, the, the idea that I'm trying to, to utilize is is to get the robotic mowers to almost have a pest control mode. So we know that chafers, for example, relay eggs during the evening. So if your mower can suddenly go out there and not necessarily mow, but it can be out there interfering, relaying uh, egg habits, then um, you can remove that cycle and break that cycle up quite easily without the use of chemicals. So mm. 
technology will will bring something. We with English Heritage, we've been testing a new biological product as well, which is I can't say too much about it, but it's, it's actually got a product in there that's got uh, something used in perfume. It's totally organic, but it's um, something that they don't enjoy. And it, if if successful, we may even bring it into the the retail market. Um, it's an organic product as well. So as I say, it's got it's got retail written all over it. But but yeah, uh, chafers aren't bad. It's it's obviously you know the the thing that are looking to eat the chafers that generally cause the problems. Mm, okay, and ants are ants a problem? I mean, they no, it just seem to sort of scurry around and bite you. <laughs> yeah, bite you. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, ants, ants are, you know, the, the strange thing about ants, I mean, again, you know, I, I look back, strangely enough, to the film Bugs Life, which um, mm-hmm. I, I suppose mo- I think most people are a fan of for its humour, if anything else. But in, in, what, in one respect, you know, what it does show you and what it does tell you is that, you know, ants become a problem when it gets wet. You know, the, the, the mounds become bigger and they start to interfere again with um, with that, nice lawn scenario in in terms of the damage that they cause as such i mean that you can find in in areas that they will kill off a patch which is um, noticeable sometimes but in most cases they don't cause that much of a problem but if if we have many many wet summers like we've had i think the the problem will come from the the increasing size of the mounds that they seem to be creating almost like molehill mounds these again in terms of products i think again i think that biological product i just mentioned will be something usable on on ants for sure in the future okay but there's not much you can do apart from you know if you take the ant situation away and and realize that there's a an increase in a mound or whatever you can always drop that a little bit lower you can scarify it and reduce it down you can hollow tiny air rate that mound to to let it collapse a little bit lower so you can you can correct them without sadly being at the present time without being able to kill them too well yep. but i think that that may come organically at some point as well and talking about killing things I, I seem to remember when i first started learning about horticulture there used to be sort of products on the market that you could kill worms in your lawn now i would have thought worms were fantastic for lawns in the sense of they air, they dig tunnels and they sort of would i would have thought help create air pockets in the lawn is that the case or a, i mean obviously they make casts and that's a bit unsightly on the top of the sort of soil but i, I would have thought lawn uh, lawns would benefit from having worms Absolutely. I, I think, you know, when I did a talk the other day to the Swedish Federation of, of, about history, uh, and strangely enough, you know, chemicals obviously came up and, and so forth. And, and what, what I came up or what I said was, you know, what we don't learn from history necessarily, things that we're not told. So we'll, you know, we, we'd learn in history that the first lawns were built around castles so that um, you could see people coming and attacking you and all that kind of thing. We did, well, hang on a minute. What about the good things that we have learned? We might not think about it, but what about, what does history teach us? Well, well, history teaches us that time makes the best soils. What's in those soils? What's making them better? But for a period, and I think maybe it was around the sort of 70s and 80s, 
you know, we, we have the nuclear approach to, and, and I say that tongue in cheek today, of course, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, we have sort of nuclear approach to any pest or anything that deemed to not give us that perfect lawn. And, and that included herbicide, which I still think is somewhat too prevalent today. So in terms of, yeah, in terms of um, worm control, we used to have a product, uh, certainly one of the stronger, more dangerous one was called Claudane, which got removed sometime in the 80s, I think, and, and rightly so. Um, you know, it did literally nuke everything in the ground. And, and, and sadly, you, you know, they would come back in anyway. That, that was the main thing. They, they would come back, but it was always daft. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, the lawn, to remove worm casts is a is a a little bit extreme in the best of uh, terms. If your if your business, for example, like a golf club, is is requiring putting surfaces 365 days a year, it's a slightly different kettle of fish. But but again, we've only got three types of casting worm anyway. Out of uh, I think it's about 30 odd now, uh, 30 types of worm. But yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I I wouldn't remove them in a in a in a million years. I think, um, luckily, all products now have been removed. Again, there are there are natural products that are looking to suppress them. Luckily, the the nuclear approach went in the 80s, and the only things that have been around in terms of agriculture or professional horticulture were suppressants. And they worked on creating a, a, almost a, a barrier that the worms didn't like to go through. Still sounds pretty awful. Yep. But the suppressants have been removed, um, removed a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sign that your soils are alive. You know, so, you know, the, the worm cast idea to me is, is, is a joy. So I, I certainly wouldn't ever remove them. Maybe, like I say, maybe we need to rethink about bringing bees and brooms back into the marketplace um, more than <laughs> more than well. but I, I you know I, I certainly think they've got a place to play you know they're they're a little worker out there and you know anything that can make our lawn work easier then yeah you certainly wouldn't do anything but enhance it would you where you could Indeed not. David on the thoughts of obviously weeds we had in the gardening trade last year a, a big campaign to encourage everybody to no mow in may um i think it went down quite well we certainly got quite a lot of reaction when we did our podcast earlier on in the year to it so what's your thoughts on on the whole idea of 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 cutting down the amount of mowing to encourage some of those wonderful flowers to perhaps develop in the lawn to help our bees and and pollinating insects yeah, I mean, again, having you know, having the two sort of interact is is a is a, is a slight weird one for me. That's the only thing. Um, you know, if you if you don't mow in May, you if you're looking after a lawn per se, um, or want lawn to be the most dominant thing there, then no mow May is dreadful because um, yeah. you lose tons of plant energy. In terms of um, you know having a corner of your garden or, or or even the whole garden turned or turning I suppose over time with with flowers and more bee friendly then absolutely for it I mean I, I can't think of anything better but of course not everybody 
wants that type of lawn. But I think it's very difficult to have your cake and eat it. I think it's very difficult to have a, a beautiful lawn, not mow it for probably the, the best growing month you get. Yeah. To, to suddenly allow bees to grow just for one month or bees to pollinate or whatever. There's a, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm nothing of a, a thousand percent behind it. I just think that, you know, if you if you can't have both, you, you would be better to have an area in your garden, uh, perhaps that, that's completely over to pollinators, for example, it's a nice. Don't get me wrong. It's a it's a nice sort of catchphrase, and and it, it's obviously got certain people talking. Personally, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather not mow for twelve months, let alone May. Um, <laughs> if I if I really pollinators there, then again with the changing conditions, um, I saw a bumblebee yesterday. You think, well, you know, there's no no plants up at the moment. But but what if there was or if there were sorry um, we wouldn't particularly want to chop them down at the moment. But if I had an area dedicated to them, maybe maybe some areas would be better. Grass is a very difficult thing to compete with. So having having that perfect mix is is always a very difficult one. It happens naturally, but grass will dominate most plants, and that can include the pollinators. So. It, it can be done, don't get me wrong, but I, I personally, yeah, I'd rather have a corner of my garden uh, over to pollinators if, if I was that concerned. But I would equally look after my lawn very sustainably in the other aspect as well. So um, I wouldn't be damaged any, anything more in, in the ground by using the right fertilizers and soil conditioners, you know, the right pest controls if i've got a pest problem so yeah i i'm like i say i'm 100 percent behind it thousand percent behind it i said earlier i can't drop that to 100 <laughs> and and i think it, everyone everyone's got their entitlement for it would i recommend it just be careful i think i think you might struggle with your lawn during a period that let's be fair we can hit a drought in in may these days and uh if you don't mow it for a month yeah the pollinators will survive but your lawn might look a bit rubbish as well so um it's, it's a tricky one for me yeah that's fair enough i think a very considered answer i think yeah it has its place and as you say just giving a little bit of a space over within your lawn to such an area might be the way forward but i could i can see both arguments but in a way anything we yeah. can do uh, is, is an advantage to those those wonderful uh, pollinators and bees yeah and uh, David, we always like to ask our guests to choose a, a desert island plant or a piece of garden equipment, should you ever be a virtual castaway. So, David, what would be yours? Well, I, I think you know. Again, the the one if I had to, if I had to sort of take something which would make people think uh, about their lawns, and and it's, it's something that, that, as I said earlier, it's something that that I would take with me because uh, I'm not saying you're talking about a desert island here. <laughs> yeah. So a desert uh, island that grows a lovely lawn. <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds yeah, good. Doesn't if, it? I was, if I were taking, yeah, I mean, I was thinking, well, I, would I take a bunker rake or something and just rake lots of bunkers in the sand? But, but <laughs> truthfully, the one, the one piece of equipment, which we, we haven't quite made properly yet in the UK is a hollow time fork because that's the one thing that everybody should be doing to their lawn because it's not that it's not that we're doing anything other than balancing out what nature's already done and that's really what what we're trying to do we're trying to nurture nature 
but nature nature can't control everything because we got so many different permutations in in our gardens but if everyone hollow tine forks their lawn they'd be in a far far better position than if they don't so wow. that would be it brilliant yeah, it's a positive note to end on isn't it yeah so uh, yeah virtual castaway hollow time fork there you go <laughs> today's show was brought to you by buckingham garden center and nurseries the show was hosted by chris day and peter brown the show was produced by peter brown and our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.